The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com.
that doesn't that make doesn't a Baptist, make a Baptist move, move a little bit, guys, I don't, guys, I don't know. Uh, that, uh, is that is eternal truth. truth. Thank, you guys. Thank you, guys. Behold, Behold our, God. our God. And that and is that always is what, the what the call of our, of our, our life, life is to be is as to be Christians. Christians. Is it not, is it not is to Behold our God. God. And for and us, for us to, to always be, always be in, all in all what all he has done, mostly in Christ for us. And so I invite your attention as we do our pastoral prayer. You can start turning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll be there in just a minute. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And your Bible, Bible on your smartphone, whatever you've got, who's joining, joining us online, us online. thank you for joining us, us in the cars, of course, cars, of course as, well. as well. Before we get there, we get though, there every week, week uh, we pray uh, we for a sister, sister church this year, and this year, or this, or this week, week, rather, we're praying, we're praying for, for First Baptist Church of Kearney, just, just uh, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10 minutes up the road, Dr. Ken Parker, a long time in the ministry, a mentor of mine, we're praying for him today, Dr. Parker, how can we pray for you? He said, you know, there's always the standard stuff, COVID, et cetera, but he said, really, we've got a team going to Alaska to go do mission work, to go share the gospel up in Alaska. Alaska, and they and leave, they leave today. today. They literally, they literally leave, today. leave today. So we're going so to pray, pray for them. And, uh, and that's a cool thing. He said, how are you guys doing? Tired? Tired? So we're doing well. And, uh, and, so, we and uh, so we appreciate your prayers, too. Prayers so they're praying so for, for us today. today. That's the cool that's thing. The cool we pray for one church. They pray for us. That's how it should be, right? So we're going to pray for our brother up there. And also, we just want to say, as we go through this scripture, we want to remind you that this is God's word. We're going to be reading in just a second. Just let that settle in for a minute. Is this your TV show? This is whatever. Whatever. This is God's, this is God's word. word. What a joy, what a joy it is to be here to, be to, share, to that. share that. So let's pray so let's together. Pray together. After we pray, we'll read our scripture. And we'll get into our sermon. Will you bow your heads with me? And uh, we'll go before our Lord as we pray. Father, thank you so much for this time as we come to you. Father, on a day where it's cloudy and cool and it feels more like late October than it does late April, Father, we, we thank you that the Word of God is a warm invite always, all throughout the year. Father, this is your inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative, sufficient um, word, of, word, and that's what you've given us. Yet, Father, we, we can't even plumb the depths of it. It's, it's like baby talk in some sense. We get enough, and we, 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 we chase the after things, the we things know, we know, and we try to study it deeper, yet we'll never fathom the depths, the depths of it. And we thank and we you thank so you much so for that. For Father, you, as you as have, just have just sung, you are a God that we are to behold. We will never figure you out. And Father, that is the praise we have, because we can figure you out. We probably made you with our hands and with our minds. Yet, Father, you are greater, far beyond, transcendent, above what we could ever ask or think, Ephesians Thank you, so thank you so much. Father, we do pray, we do pray for our sister church. Pray for brother, pray for brother uh, Ken Parker, 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 Parker at First Baptist Carney. Father, who, who do such great, do such great work, work in that town to bring the gospel. We pray especially for their mission team, mission team going, going, to Alaska, going to Alaska, pray for their, for their safety, safety as, they travel, as they travel, the planes, the planes with all the precautions and all the things that are there. But Father, keep them laser focused on the mission that they have before them. That is to share the gospel, to serve the people they're going to, and Father, to encourage the the other brothers and sisters who are there. All throughout the year, Father, may this be a shot of adrenaline, spiritually speaking, in their arms to continue the work. Uh, just as Paul visited the churches, may this mission team from Kearney be a blessing to them, and we know they will be. Father, we pray for our church. Thank you for the giving. Thank you for all that happens here. We especially thank you for this nursery uh, build that's been happening the last two weeks, Lord, and we look forward to the time in the coming weeks where we can fill that back with our children. But Father, we thank you. Thank you so much. We pray all this today in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Well, if you have your Bible, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 this morning, we are in a series. We just started last week, actually. We spent the majority of our early months of 2021 in uh, Nehemiah, 
and we spent a couple weeks away for Easter, and we started this series called Countercultural, which is a look at how a church thrived in a time and a place where everything was not hunky-dory with the message that they brought. And so countercultural. And Paul, this is one that we said last week, as he opened up, you see that in the first uh, verse, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. He doesn't identify himself as the Apostle Paul, the missionary Paul. He identifies himself as Paul. And so Paul, for the first time in a letter, opens up with himself just being himself. He's not Pastor Paul. He's just Paul. But he brings to them encouragement in the midst of much persecution. We reminded you last week, this church was under a heavy hand. This church had three weeks with Paul, and then they started rioting so much that they literally had to take Paul out of a back door to get him out of the city so he would not be killed. And Paul wrote them in a very encouraging opening in chapter 1, and it's almost how the church came to be. But now today, we're going to look at, in chapter 2, his encouragement to them about how the church is cared for, how the church is cared for. So let's pick that up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll read from verse 1 all the way down to verse 12. And if you're able to, if you would like to, in honor of God's Word, uh, if you'd stand with us this morning. Uh, and outside, if you want to stand outside your car, that's cool, whatever works, but uh, we'll read God's Word this morning. Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being, oh, oh that's the wrong chapter, woo! That's Second Thessalonians, guys. That might be a whole different sermon. All right, here we go. Don't you love it? For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Verse 3, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we had been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with pretext for greed, for God is our witness. Verse 6, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, verse 8, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our our very own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers and sisters, our labor and toil, and we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. And you are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, note the parental uh, things there, mother and father, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and into his own glory. This morning, we're going to see four ways that the church is cared for. And this seems, again, and Lane, I, I mention this a lot, our intern Lane and I meet every week at, at the seminary, talk through this stuff. This seems kind of self-serving because I'm a pastor. He's writing, defending his ministry. But I want you to see in here how the church is cared for and how it is not cared for, how the church is nourished, how it's grown, because this is going to affect whatever church you go to in your life maybe in your latter years, maybe in your younger years, if the church is not doing these things, they are not doing what God has called them to do and therefore cannot be countercultural as we are called to be in this time we live. Let's pray together and we'll start our sermon. Father, thank you so much. We thank you for your word. 
Father, this is Paul defending his ministry, even to a place that was probably most supportive and most receptive to his ministry. Yet, Lord, even in every bunch, there's a bad apple. Even in every bunch, there's a rotten egg. But, Father, we thank you that despite that, you grow your church. Father, we pray for Tower View. We pray for our fellowship here on the Hill that's been here in almost 60 years next year in 2022. That, Father, as the years go forward, as the days go on, no matter what pandemics, no matter what politics, no matter what is ahead of us, Father, that we stand firm as they stood firm. And may we be a church that cares and is cared for in the ways that we see in this passage. We pray this to the honor of our, uh, honor of not of our names, excuse me, rather, but Lord, to your name we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, you may be seated. Thank you so much. Well, as you come to this passage, it reminds me of the story, and this, this may or may not have happened, and I don't want to venerate him, but in 1940s, 1930s, and 40s, the story is told of Mahatma Gandhi, and I've shared this before, but it fits the context, where Gandhi had read all night on a Saturday the story of the Bible. He literally read from cover to cover in his Hindi language the Bible. So what did he do? He decided the next day to go to a church, and it just happened to be, as Britain was over India back in those days, in the 40s and 30s, that he found himself to a mainly Caucasian church. Actually, uh, it was only Caucasian. And the greeter at the door looked at him, and before Gandhi could get out, what happened to him that night, how excited he was to hear about Christ, the man looked at him and said, "Away, get away from here, go worship with your own people. And Gandhi wrote that famous phrase, that, and there's debate about whether he, anyway, the phrase that comes out proverbially is that, I, I loved your Christ, but I hated your people. That's a stab in the heart, isn't it? Because if we're honest, some opponents of Christianity may not be so much against Christ as much as they are about the hypocrisy of his followers. And ironically, it hasn't occurred to them that no one was more opposed to hypocrisy than Jesus himself. I mean, there are several people who will go to a church and say, I won't go to that church because it's full of hypocrites. And if you're really good, you'll look at them and say, well, do you go to the grocery store too? Do you go to the movie theater? I mean, everywhere you go, there's going to be hypocrites. But we shouldn't just dismiss what they have to say because there might be truth to it. It's like the story of the young mother who was glancing through her window only to see her nosy neighbor come, and her young, impressionable children heard her say, oh, no, not her again. And when they knocked on the door, she smiled and said, oh, how very nice it is to see you. That's how we are. Our lives and our lips often preach a mixed message. Jesus warned us in Matthew 23. He said, don't do according to their works, speaking of the Pharisees, for they say and do not do what they should. Friends, this is the truth of every church. Every church is going to have a bunch of people somewhere, somehow, connected to them that are going to try to spoil the bunch, even at a church at Thessalonica. And the question we have to ask ourselves as we look how to care for the church is how do we combat that? How do we deal with those things that are in front of us as Paul was dealing with them in front of him? I mean, are we committed and contributing members of our local church? Are we dying to self and laying down our lives and our rights as members of the church for the sake of the body? Are we laboring to edify the church? Are we actually trying to build up the church around us? Or is it more about what I want instead of what God wants through all of us? Your big idea today, if you have your bulletin, the big ideas in front of you, it's just a summary of the sermon. The big idea is this, is that every local church is imperfect and is, is flawed. Yet the church is, like Noah's Ark, an ark of salvation, providing safety for God's people in the storm of judgment. So climb aboard, even if some of the animals stink from time to time. Y'all don't stink, do you? Come on now. Some of you do. It's more physical than, I'm just kidding. But I want you to know this. 
as we look to be countercultural, we need to realize, as Paul saw in chapter 2, that there are times the church needs to be reminded of what its purpose is and how it is to be cared for. And as church members, I, Tower View, you need to be reminded that there is a time and a place where we need to hit the reset button and say, what are we really here to do? Because if we lose our mission, we become like those people Gandhi faced, where it's more about this preference or that preference or this or that instead of about Christ together for the kingdom of God. And that's what we don't want to miss. The church is not a museum for showcasing perfect people, but it's a classroom for training imperfect disciples. So four things today. We're going to see the church is cared for through preaching, through prudence, through persistence, and through pushing. The four Ps there. And as we get here, I want you to know Paul is defending his ministry. Paul is standing up saying, we didn't do this, but we did do this. We, 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 we are going to do it this way. We're not going to do it that way. Why did he do that? Because he knew the moment we lose focus on the goal is the moment the church gets off the track of what it's supposed to be. I mean, it's like a kid. Uh, brother Dave is outside. Uh, uh, Dave, I did not share this, but uh, Dave, was, uh, the brother, you can find me afterwards. He was sharing about uh, their young grandson who had, uh, played soccer a couple years ago, and he was younger. And uh, David shared at the soccer game, the ball would go by, and he'd just kind of stand there. You know how little kids are. The ball just sits there. But Dave said now his, his grandson yesterday was into the game and focused on that. But churches can be like that sometimes. We can be like the little kid out in left field when the ball comes and just bulks them on the head, and they don't move anything they don't know any better. But Paul says this is what we have to do. So let's get into it. How did he care for the church? How is the church cared for? First, in verses 1 to 6, it's, how, it's through biblical preaching. It's through bi biblical preaching. And he tells them in verses 1 to 2, he says, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel in the midst of much conflict. He said, We came not in vain. We came not in vain. And friends, we need to know that through biblical preaching, that that is how the church is primarily cared for in the congregation itself. When the preaching is, is on as it should be, so people will be on. But he says, be confident in the persecution. Even when you are preaching, there's going to be persecution. Do you remember what happened back in Acts 16? Paul and, and Silas and Timothy show up at Philippi, and there's a slave girl who's prophesying and is possessed by a demon. And, and Paul basically calls out that demon from her. And all the people, the, the slave owners of that girl get so mad, they throw Paul in jail. You remember this? And what happens to them in jail? It's midnight, and they're singing like the Hallelujah Chorus. They're singing and all these things. There's a big earthquake. Do you remember the story? There's a big old earthquake that happens. And then the jailer about, is about ready to kill himself, and Paul says, no, stop. And he, he lays down at his feet, and he says, sirs, what must we do to be saved? Do you remember the story? And he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And his, him and his household were saved. What a glorious picture. But as soon as that happened, the officials tried to rush them out. And Paul said, hey, uh, no, you can't just rush me out of here. You're going to walk me out of this city. And from Philippi to Thessalonica they went. But it's because they preached the gospel. Paul knew whatever church he went to, it was because he preached and because he shared the gospel that persecution would come. And church, we have to identify ourselves with that at some point too. We have to be willing to say, I'm okay with that message. Last night, I was proud of our men. We went, ladies, I'm just going to tell you where we were. We were in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 through 15. And it was, all, it was a men discussion about the, the role of ladies in the church. So guys, if you went home last night and shared with your ladies what we talked about, you might have slept on the couch a little bit. No, I'm just kidding. 
But it was a tough passage. But I'm proud of our men because they knew that what the Bible says about such things, that men and women are created equally but with distinct roles, is what the Bible says. And we hold fast to that because that's what the Bible says. But on issues like that, on issues of the gospel, if we're going to care for our church, even in the midst of persecution, Paul says, I came to you, and I came to you knowing that you were in the midst of all this stuff, but I kept preaching the gospel. That's how the church was cared for. Second thing that was cared for in the preaching is in verse 3. He said, we, look at verse 3, he said, our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Paul uses a word here to speak in broad terms. He's preaching the gospel. He's sharing the gospel. He's doing all these sorts of things, but he does not try to mislead them. Do you know there are some pastors who that is their bent in life? They are used car salesmen with a pastor suit on. They try to get you to believe them because they know it's easy money. Religion is easy money. Can I say that again? Religion is easy money. It is. But it's how you handle that that really shows your character. There are a lot of pastors who you hear about years later who end up skimming off the top, 10% here, 10% there, because they're the pastor. We can trust them with the money, right? Oh, yeah, because we're really exempt from all that greed like you all are, right? He says, I came to preach the gospel, not in error. Guys, as your pastors, I want to remind you as we care for this church in preaching, when we preach, we pray for us that we don't come with any other motive than to see you grow in Jesus Christ. We're not here to sell you a bag of goods. We're not here to say, look at us. We're not trying to deceive you. We're not trying to bait you like a fish. It's fishing season around here. We're not trying to do that for you. We may have hard words from time to time, but we care for you because we want to be careful how we preach to you. Sometimes it stings. Sometimes it stinks because you're getting the truth of God's word and it hurts. But a lot of times our goal is the same. We want nothing more for you than to grow in Jesus Christ. And if you go to a church, if you're listening online, you're a member of a church that just tickles your ears, 2 Timothy 4 style, be careful. Because if you're there for the pastor, and the pastor is teaching you stuff, and you like it so much that he never challenges you, then you ought to be careful about what it is. Not a huge fan of Casting Crowns in the general sense. They have a song out on the radio. It's been out for a few months. That It says they have a rock star preacher who will never wake us from our dreams, is the chorus that goes on. I'm not a rock star preacher. I'm probably never going to awaken you from your dreams, but God can. And it starts with a simple word. And Paul said, to care for the church, he's going to be careful what he preaches. That means we're going to go through this Bible, even in hard texts that challenge us and make us think, because we want you to know what God's word says. Let's never take that for granted. But they were saying, Paul, you just came to get some money from us. Paul, you just came to get your paycheck. And that's not what he said. Look at verse 4. He goes on. He, it, we're still in that first setting be, uh, being cared for through preaching. But he says, but just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. Who are you ultimately responsible to, Christian, at the end of the day? It's not the pastor. It's not the church, verse 4. But it is God himself, is it not? You stand uh, in that way. Galatians 1.10, Paul said this. He said, for now, am I seeking the approval of men or am I trying to please God? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of God. Look, at the end of the day, I stand for every word I say from this pulpit. If you had to stand for every word you say at your office, at your annual review, what would that do to you on a, on a daily basis? <laughs> It'd suck up you pretty quick, wouldn't it? But he came to them and he said, look, we are going to be clear in our preaching. We are going to be clear in whom we please. 
Guys, I, at times I am sinful as you are. At times as pastor, we know that we, we sometimes will preach in a way that is looking for responses from the cl- crowd rather than responses to God because we're human just like you are. But our hearts and our desire as you are as Christians wants to see not people pleased, but people there. If you're pleased because we preach God's word, that's a win. Is that, you see that difference there? We're not trying to just tickle your ears, but if you're pleased because you're hearing God's word and you're fired up for that, praise the Lord. But God tests our hearts. And there are days when we preach that we think, Lord, I can't even live this message. How am I supposed to preach this? And God reminds us that that's what I called you to do. You pray for us in this. You don't want a church that tickles your ears. You don't want a church that just seeks to please you. You want a church that speaks the truth, but you want a church most of all where people, the pastors, where the teachers of all levels are seeking to test not their own hearts, but to test their hearts before God. Oh, if pulpits would be on fire like this, our churches would change, wouldn't it? But he goes on. This is still in the first setting. This is a longer one. He said to be clear about your priorities. Look at verse 5. He said, We never came with words of flattery, as you know, for, nor with a pretext for greed, for God is our witness. I mentioned it a minute ago. Most people in ministry are out not for the paycheck, but to serve God. But there are some people who are, who are such of personality and such of a pedigree that they're good with people, they're visionaries, they can say the right words at just the right time, and they line their bank accounts. Look, is it wrong to take care of your family or, or, or to save a little bit back as a pastor? No, it's not. Some churches will say, we're going to hold back their paycheck because we want them to know what it means to suffer for Jesus Christ. Oh, let's do that to your job too as you take care of your kids because that's really how that works. It's not right. But he didn't come with words of flattery. He came with the truth. Now, let me apologize to you for pastors everywhere. Sometimes we can be so hardcore about preaching that we don't care for you as people. Do you see that? We can steamroll you with the truth of God's word so much that the heart is not taken care of and you are not following God because you're upset just in the way it was presented. We need to work on that. And I apologize if I've done that here. I'm sure I have. But he says, we've not come with flattery. Don't you just hate when someone comes to you and they're just beating around the bush. They just don't tell you what they need to tell you. And they're just saying all these things. And finally you look at them, just spit it out, man. Tell me what you want to say. Most preachers don't because they're afraid to offend people. When I stand in this pulpit, it'll be six years next week. It's crazy to think because there are so many sermons I look back on. and I think, man, I really don't know. I don't know if I'm going to have a job the next day. But I praise God for the growth he has brought here. Because God has brought godly people through this church. And you have grown with me. And we've grown together. We're continuing to grow. And I promise you, you pray for us. We don't come with flattery, self-promotion, or opportunism, or political pragmatism. We just want to preach the way of the cross. That's it. Paul said, I came to know nothing among you except Christ and Christ crucified. That's it. So friends, you pray for us in that. That we don't flatter you with our words. May God be our witness. The last thing he says about preaching, look at verse 6. He says, we're, we're to be charitable. He said, nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or for others, though we could have made demands as apostles. Look, as pastors, we are called over you to serve you as your leaders, but we're also called to bring you not demands that are selfish, but demands that are spiritual. There are times as a pastor where we will look at you and say, you're wrong. There are times as a pastor that we'll look at you and say, I'm wrong, because we are walking this together. 
but we're to be charitable in our position. Paul says he doesn't seek glory from men. He had the, uh, the right as an apostle, as someone who saw and, and was given a commission by Jesus, but he thought himself as a clay vessel just simply here. Guys, I, I, we appreciate such support that you give us here as a pastoral team, but we are really just one beggar leading another beggar to bread. We're really in this together. I don't care about my name. I used to have a website, darrencsmith.com, and I had to catch myself in my early years here about what my, what my motivation was for doing that. And it was wrong at times. It was more about self-promotion than it was about anything else. Be careful. Be careful who you follow. If the people you follow, the pastors you follow, the preachers you follow, the ones on the radio, the ones on the internet are more about them and their ministry than about Jesus Christ and his ministry, be very, very careful. There are times as pastors we will call and say, look, as your pastor, I have this right to tell you this, but we don't go above and beyond what is there. Paul literally says here he had the authority to be a burden to these people. He had the authority to do it. And guys, there are some times we're going to get up in your stuff because spiritually that's what we're called to do is to be up in your stuff at times. We're not the Holy Spirit. We're not the salvation police. But we need to know and you need to know that God has called us to, to shepherd you. And sometimes that stinks. But Pastor Nelson put out a, he tagged me in a, a post on Facebook where the sheep got stuck. I don't even know what it was, Pastor. Uh, he got stuck between like a crevice of a rock or something. And, and, and Pastor Nelson tagged me, this is what we do. And the guy's like pulling the sheep out by its hind legs and doing this sort of thing. There are times we have to do that together. But it's not about us. It's about him. Just like when you serve in this church, it's not about you. It's about him. If you're gifting, if you're calling, if whatever you think God has put in your life to do overrides the body of Christ, you are in sin. You are not the greatest thing to come out since sliced bread, sister or, or brother. There are better preachers than me. I'm a third-class rate preacher, and I'll tell myself that all day because I don't care. I care about you growing. That's what I care about. That's what Nelson cares about. That's what Pastor Craig cares about. That's what it's about. It's not about us. It's about him. And that's it. And you pray for us in that, that that is our focus. Well, pastor, don't, the history of this church is a lot of pastors use this as a platform to get to other churches. Guys, mm -mm. this pulpit is never a stepping stone to a greater ministry. The greatest ministry is seeing the people that God's called us to grow in Christ. That's where it's at. If we ever use our positions here in a way that defaces the name of Christ, you have every right in the body of Christ to come up to us, wet fished up, ch -ch 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 -ch, and knock some sense into us. It's not about us. It's all about him. And Paul said that through preaching, this church was cared for. But he had to remind them that it wasn't about me. I came to you and I shared myself in my preaching. Second thing, that's the longest point there. Second thing is they came caring with preaching. But secondly, verses 7 and 8, they came with prudence. Prudence. Notice verses 7 and 8. Uh, this is Paul using a metaphor here. He says in verse 7, he says, But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother, taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also ourselves because you had become very dear to us. In verses 1 to 6, Paul emphasized what they were not, and here he's telling them what they are. He says, I came to be gentle among you. Paul uses the same illustration that Jesus used. Remember, Jesus used this about Jerusalem. He came like a, like a hen that was taking care of his children. And Paul says, I came to you like a, a gentle mother. He says, we shared our love with you. What Paul is saying is that he was concerned about the Thessalonians. 
Christian, we care about you. This week, uh, this week was a trying week in our ministry in a lot of ways behind the scenes. But friends, I pray that we do that with gentleness and with respect. Because we love you. There are days we come to you pastorally like a mother. But you're a guy. How does that work? I don't know. But God gives us grace to do it. And that's what we need. He says that it's caring like a baby for her mother. It's a powerful image. It's the devotion of a mother rolled into the ministry. How do, how do we care for the church? We care for it through prudence. What does that mean? We care through it through systematic caring of one to another, especially from the leadership down. You know, it's the old phrase, preach, pray, love, and stay. That's the old pastoral thing that we're supposed to do. But Pastor Craig is always good, and he's been good to me in the ministry to remind me of this over the years that if you don't care for the people first, they don't care what you have to say. And that's true, isn't it? You can tell your kids the right thing or the wrong thing all day, but if you don't care about them, it doesn't matter one lick. Friend, a mother who had to choose between her life and the life of a baby would always choose to sacrifice her own life for the baby, wouldn't she? Nine times out of ten. Paul comes to them and says, how is the church cared for? It's cared for by people who care for each other. Do you have that care for each other here in this church? Do we have that care for each other? Would we literally be willing to give ourselves up for another like a mother would for a child for the sake of the gospel? That's what Paul's saying. The church may be full of hypocrites, but a church that is gospel-centered will be a church that cares more about the other than cares for themselves. He says in verse 8, he went on, he says, we also share our lives. What does this mean? He says, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. This literally means Paul is giving himself to the work of the ministry. He's giving himself to each other. He's giving himself to the people that he's been entrusted with. Look, I'm just going to take a time out right here, and I put this in my notes. I know right now, even a year on, our COVID looks different. It looks different. Inside, outside, it's different. It's hard to care for each other because we don't see each other as much. We can't, shouldn't be around each other as much as, as it is. Guys, as your pastoral team, we take very seriously the, the call of the city and the call of Scripture, and trying to make that work is, is just a, it's a, it's a balancing act. But I pray that we don't let COVID become an excuse for ways, at least in this time, that we can care for each other. Making phone calls, writing letters, sending texts. I don't know. Send an email. Write, take out a pen and paper and write out something, right? Do what you can. But what Paul says here is, is that, that, that they were not just going through the motions of caring. They had become very dear. They had become so dear to each other that they couldn't stand not being around each other. May God grow that in our church. Amen? May we desire to be around each other so much that when we can't be, we miss each other. I mean, when you go on vacation, if that's even a thing these days, when you go on vacation, you go to another church, it never feels quite right, does it? Doesn't mean the preaching's always bad. Doesn't mean the fellowship is terrible. But when you go back to your church, there's something about being home. And friends, I thank God for what he's grown here. But when we pray, Lord, help us, help us to see the growth to each other to the point that we share our lives and we share our love with each other. other. And it comes through prudence. It comes through systematically living it out. And I pray our lives as pastors here are open to you as well. Thank you for loving our families well. Thank you for taking care of us well. Because there are days and times where that's not easy. Thank you for loving us as a church in that way. You care through preaching. You care through prudence. Look at verses 9 and 10. Thirdly, their care is through biblical persistence. Biblical persistence. Look at verses 9 and 10. It says, For you remember, brothers, that our labor and toil, we work night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. While we proclaim to you the gospel of our God, and you are witnesses about how God, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. 
he began the verses, for you yourselves know, back in verse 1. And now he calls them the things that they know. They don't have to wonder about Paul and his colleagues. They have no reason to believe the accusations that some hypocrites in the church are saying about them. They know better. They know better. They have only have to call to mind what they saw. Paul was a tent maker. Paul was a blue-collar worker. Paul could have worked at the uh, Ford tent-making factory if there were such a thing back in the day, and he would have been on the assembly line, front and center, winning all the awards. Paul worked hard. He did not have greed. He did not have deception. He did not do any of those things. He said, literally, we're working day and night. He wanted to show this church, I'm not about myself, I'm not about promoting my ministry, I'm about persistence. I want you to see what I'm asking you to do, I want you to see in our lives. And that's what he told them to do. Paul's point is this, is that he and his colleagues have supported themselves financially, even though they had the right to demand financial gain. Time out. Big question. Should churches pay pastors? Ooh, that's a dangerous question to ask from the pulpit in front of our financial committee, at least two members in the very front row. It's a good question. There is certainly a calling that you shouldn't muzzle the ox, as it said in 1 Corinthians 9. There is a, a point where if there are people laboring among you who have been called among you to pastor, elder, shepherd your church, there should be something of compensation. Now, now culturally, we've taken that, and you guys bless me full-time, the other pastors part-time as they work other jobs. But we know this to be true. A church that is generous to its leadership is being generous as the Bible says. Is it a requirement? No, it's not. There are a lot of good brothers I know who work full-time jobs and pastor on the side and don't get paid a dime because they don't want to hurt the ministry of the church. Paul is not opposed to receiving financial support. In Philippians 4, he, he, he took support from believers in Philippi. And he talks about Deuteronomy 25, you shall not muzzle the ox when he treads the grain. So how much should you pay the pastor? That's a great question. And that's something the church will need to decide. But we are grateful of this church as you have shown us the ability to be persistent in your giving and persistent in your support and persistent in caring for the church you have blessed us in ways that we know that we can take care of our families. Thank you for that. And that's been a historical thing here at Tower View. You always have. Thank you. But is it wrong for a pastor to work a full-time job and, and do it on the side? No, not at all. What Paul is saying is that in all this stuff, don't believe what the naysayers say. This is why the Bible tells us that financial support could be open to critical care. I mean, guys, let's be honest. Have you ever seen the documentaries about our famous preachers out there, Joel Osteen? Come on now. T.D. Jakes, turn on Channel 16, KTAJ, TBN, all the fancy preachers whose suits cost more than my 190,000-mile car outside. You know something's up. But here's the thing at the end of the day. Paul didn't care what he received. He cared about the people that were sending it out to him. He said thank you with an open hand because he knew God was going to take care of Christ's view of the sheep was that he was seeing them without a sheep without a shepherd, and so too Paul. Is it wrong to share in financial gain as a pastor? No, it's not. You know, there's a story told uh, a couple weeks ago of a pastor who, who, who drove, a, uh, and this came up in a, a message board, of a pastor who drove an old beat-up car, and he found another beat-up car. It just happened to be a BMW car. 
and he sold his old beat-up car to get the BMW car, which is probably going to last him longer. And everyone at the church had an emergency business meeting because that wasn't right for the pastor to have a 150,000 beat-up-year-old car. It's like 15 years old because it had BMW on it. Don't always judge a book by its cover. But know that you need to pray that we witness with integrity, and we do so because we want to be holy, righteous, and blameless before our God. Do you see that here? Paul was willing to lay it down no matter what, for the sake of the body of Christ, that's countercultural. Christian, are you willing to do that even in your walk with Christ? We pray you are. Last point is this. It's through preaching, it's through prudence, it's through persistence, and finally, it's through biblical pushing. Pushing with quotes. We don't really push people around here physically, although, well, we'll leave that alone. Through biblical pushing. He says, for you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you. Paul says this. He says, beyond all this stuff, beyond the physical stuff, beyond the things that can come through my care, I want you to know this. There are times when I am going to exhort you. There are times when I'm going to call you out. There are times when I'm going to wrap you up like a mother. I'm going to encourage you. And there are times when I'm going to charge you. Go do this. That's what it's all about. Christian, you have to know that if you're a member of a church, you're going to be pushed back by the pastoral leadership at times. And we love you as we do that, as a parent does, as a father does. You know, dads, granddads, you have a voice, don't you? That voice that only comes out when things get in trouble and it gets a little deeper. You kind of sound like a baritone or a baritone, a bass at that point. And when daddy's voice comes out, everyone perks up, right? So two pastors have two voices, Calvin says, the ones that call the sheep and the ones that call them back. He says here, we exhorted you, we implored you as a father does his children. And what he's saying is to exhort means to urge, but it also means to comfort. It means, it means to bring aside. But these three words together, exhort, encourage, and charge, really mean that it's about persuasion. It's positive persuasion. Don't get away from the path. Don't walk this way. Don't walk the hypocritical way. Follow the straight and narrow. That's what we want from you. And that's what the pastoral team was called to do here. This is what Paul meant. We are pleased to impart to you the good news, but we want you to know that we want you to do what verse 12 says. And look at verse 12 as we end with this. He says, I want you to walk worthily. This is the whole goal of our ministry. This is the whole goal of how the church is cared for. When the preaching is there, when the per persistent prudence care is there, we get down to the biblical pushing. We want to push you into this. Verse 12, we exhorted each of you and then charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who called you into his own kingdom. What is the Christian life all about? It's that you would walk worthily with God. That wherever you are, whomever you are, whatever you are, that at the end of the day, your life pleases God. That's what it's all about. And Paul says, if you're doing that as a Christian, you're already walking against the countercultural of the day. Friends, as Christians, we need to be careful how we walk in this life. Because people are watching. People are looking at us. People are examining us. We serve a higher court. We serve God's court. But I need you to know that our prayer for you as pastors is that through all this care, through all this preaching, that you grow in Jesus Christ. That's it. So where does this leave us? Church member, I want to encourage you this morning to be as generous as you can to whomever God has put over you in whatever church you are. Be generous with assumptions be generous with finances. Be generous with everything. Generous people begat generous people. 
And that includes one to another. In this church, don't always assume the false thing. Well, I haven't seen such and such for a couple weeks. Don't assume that's bad. We live in a COVID time where we assume that because people don't do it our way, then they must not be the Christian. Church, God is doing great work here. I'm going to close with a quote, and I posted this on Facebook yesterday. I'm going to pull it up on my phone because it's uh, easier to read from there. But I pray at this church we never let secondary, third-level things take over what God has put in our midst. This is written by a brother, Jared Wilson, who's, who teaches at seminary. Jared's a, a friend of mine, ministry friend of mine. I've counseled with him many times. This is what he says. And I want to close with this because I think it's very apropos to what we just heard from 1 Thessalonians 2. He says, what often threatens Christian unity is an idolatry of uniformity. This is when we elevate third-level things about Christ where we can't affirm them in our brothers and sisters until they affirm and agree with us on all secondary matters. A pushing of second and third-level things into first things effectively elevates us and is not a defense of the gospel, but is the demeaning of it. Examples, quote, they don't share my passion or area of ministry, therefore they're not as faithful as me. Quote, they don't share my view on this secondary or third level issue, therefore they're not as smart or a serious student of the Bible as me. Or they don't engage or don't engage in this Christian area of ministry, therefore they're not as holy as me. Or let me throw some COVID things. They wear a mask, I don't wear a mask. I'm more holy than them. I wear a mask. They don't wear a mask. How sinful are they? Friends, here's what we believe. Jesus Christ died, buried, and rose again. His word is sufficient. It tells us everything we need. There's one way to heaven. It's through Jesus Christ. He's the God-man. He rose from the dead. We believe there's one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's nothing we can do to get to heaven. It is only through Christ. That's where we settle. That's where we stay. That's where we hold ourselves together. And the church that wants to be cared for is a church that's going to fight over other things. Don't emphasize your pet doctrine, whether it's end times or sovereignty of God or, or, or this view or that view. Let God's word have discussion about those things, but never let those things break us apart. That is anti-countercultural and it's anti-everything we just read Paul worked for. We never major in minors around here. We always major in the majors because God is worthy of that. Amen? Christian, if we believe God is as faithful as he is, then we're willing to sacrifice even our very own doctrines. Not watering down the word of God, but even saying, I love you and I don't agree with you on this, but because I want to see this church grow and I want to see this church cared for, I'm willing to say, Okay, let's agree on this instead. If we do that together, we're going to envision everything Paul had. Let's close with that. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come before you. We thank you so much that you are growing things here. Father, we don't want to be as some were in Paul's church at Thessalonica that were living one thing, saying one thing, and doing another. But Father, we pray that we are people who are consistent that we are people who are not hypocrites, that we are people who, even despite our sin, own it and we walk through it together. But Father, even as every church is not perfect, Father, we thank you that you've called us together, that you have called us to care for one another through the application of the preaching, the prudence, the persistence, and sometimes the pushing of each other spiritually, so to speak, 
about seeking after Christ. That's not easy. Sometimes it means stepping on toes, but help us to do it with grace and gentleness. Father, I pray you protect us from planting our flags as they are in whatever doctrines or teachings or preachers that would cause us to bring division to the body of Christ. Father, as Paul prayed in Corinthians that I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, or these or that's, Father, may we never follow anyone but your son, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the things we agree on, but give us grace in the things we don't, especially those things that don't matter for salvation and are secondary or third level issues. For Father, we're in this together, and to be countercultural, we have to walk hand in hand. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your son who gave his life for us. We pray all this today in Jesus' name, in his name, amen.